Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Now, just for a second, when we're thinking virgins, but basically what they're saying is young, unmarried friends of the bride, bridesmaids. You can think of it in terms of our culture as bridesmaids. But they hear, the, they hear this cry out, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. That's they got their, their new wicks ready for the flame. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and you, go, go, go to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Now again, as I said before, it's a little important to know something about the culture of Jewish weddings in AD 30, if we're gonna not be uh, a little bit confused by this. Um, D.A. Carson talks about this, a couple other guys do, and I'm quoting from a couple of different places. Normally the bridegroom, that's the guy who's getting married, with some of his close friends, some of his buddy, would leave his home on the night of the wedding and he'd go to the bride's home and there'd be some ceremonies there and then they'd have a big pr- pr- procession through the street after nightfall and he'd take her to his home. So the first thing that has to happen is the bride has to leave his home to come to her home to take her back to his home. Sounds familiar? <laughs> I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In my father's house are many rooms, many mansions. I will come to you to take you to to be with me where I am so that you might be with me also. That's what Jesus told us in John. So here's the bridegroom coming out, my best understanding of all this. He's coming out to meet his bride. These 10 girls are bridesmaids who've been assisting the bride. They expect to meet the groom. Everyone in the procession was expected to carry his or her own torch. It's going to get dark at some point. They need to have these torches. They're really sticks with cloth with fuel on them, oil. And if you didn't have a torch, if you weren't prepared, it it could be assumed that you weren't really invited. Or it could be assumed even worse, Carson says, that you might be a gang member who's trying to get in on all the, the wealth and the riches that will be poured out at these weddings where people would just, you know, spend a lot more money and they would u- usually do it to, to make this a, a nice situation. So you might be a gang member or something like that. So the role of the bridesmaids was to escort possibly the groom to the bride's home. Or at least receive him. So these lamps were important for the role of the bridesmaids to do their job. To get help the groom get to the right place at the right time. And, and, and in Jesus' scene, they're awaiting the groom. M- maybe they're sitting outside her house waiting for him to come so that when they hear that he's coming, they can run out to meet him and escort him. But he's delayed. Jesus said this last time, right? 
when, if you were here last week, he talks about coming much later than expected. It says he was delayed so long that it got to be midnight. I mean, that's impolite. <laughs> On a wedding night, you're sitting there, you get there at 5.45, you get to the chapel, you sit in your seats. 12 o'clock, where's the bride? <laughs> where's the groom? I mean, where's the groom? Does he still want to get milk for us? <laughs> Is he still coming? Are these guys really engaged? I mean, you know, but, but I think, isn't there some help for us there? Like 2,000 years ago, Jesus is saying, it might get really late before I come. It might take a really long time. He says this in, in several different ways in, in these chapters. And I find that comforting for someone 2,000 years after he left. <laughs> it feels like it's taking a long time, doesn't it? And he says, they're delayed, so they go to sleep. Now, everybody goes to sleep. All the bridesmaids go to sleep. This isn't about don't sleep. Sometimes you'll see scriptures where sleep is a metaphor for spiritual uh, dullness and drunkenness. He's just saying it got really late. Those who had oil went to sleep. Those who didn't have oil went to sleep. You know, many commentators say that this is, you take this application, you just say, Jesus is saying, live your lives while you're waiting. Have jobs, have families, serve your church. Preach the gospel, you know, like live your lives. Anyway, all we know is that he says they all fell asleep. And then there's this cry. He's here, he's here. And suddenly, those five who didn't have any oil left, they realized we don't have enough to go out to meet him. We're gonna be thought that we're gang members or shut out of the party. They say to their friends, give us your oil, give us your oil. And my friends say, I can't. I, I won't have enough for my own responsibility to the bride and the groom. I can't, I can't give you my oil. Go get, go get, go into town and get some. And of course, it's too late. The wedding starts, the door is shut. So what what do we what do we think of these five sad, poor bridesmaids? Well, the first thing we should see is that they they, they were foolish. That's what Jesus tells us. They were foolish. They, they did not plan to endure. Five. Only five can relight their torches because only five took the situation seriously. Now again, I, sometimes people get really caught in the minutiae of these parables and what are the five, what's the oil, what, you know, is this the rapture, is this the blah, 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 blah. Is, is our 50% of the church gonna be shown to be fraudulent when Jesus returns? I don't think it has to do with that. I think Jesus is just saying what he says at the end. This is a question of preparation and watching and sobriety. Only five could relight their torches because only five took the wedding seriously. The other five were foolish and they did not take the wedding seriously. They did not take the groom seriously that he was coming. They did not take their role and responsibility for the occasion seriously. They knew where there was a wedding. They knew there was a coming. But in their hearts, they just didn't really take it seriously. And they were not prepared. They were playing church. Jesus is saying here, are you taking me seriously? And, and we can 
try to answer that question as best we can by asking another one, which is, is, is our belief in Jesus yielding a life that says we take him seriously? Is our spoken and professed belief in Jesus yielding a life that says we're taking him seriously? Or are we like those about whom Jesus will say and what Gary said to us today during his prophetic word? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? How do we look at Jesus when we wake up and we're called upon yet again to every day, as he says in his word, if we want to be his disciple, really, He's not joking, follow me thus. He says every day, take up your cross, die to yourself and follow me. Every day, he says. Do we respond by crying out to him for his power without which we can do nothing? Do we take it seriously that this this day belongs to my Lord and my King and I have to give it to him? And boy, am I a mess, so God help me. That's the way I respond when I respond well. And he answers that prayer. But are we taking it seriously? He says, if you want to be my disciple, every day, take up your cross and follow me. If you don't want to be my disciple, don't do that. And on the day of judgment, none of us are going to be perfect, but there's going to be clarity about whether we did that or not. Whether not perfectly, he knows we're not perfect, but whether our changed life heard those words of his and the Spirit worked over our lives to help us continue to to, to try to give our lives to him and follow him seriously. Which means, I think for all of us, begging him for grace and mercy and power to do it. So does our unseen life outside this hour in this room, does our private heart testify to our public profession? Does the way we treat his word and the responsibility to pray testify? Does the way we treat our wives or our husbands or our sexuality if we're single, does the way we treat our children or our parents, does the way we treat our jobs, the example we give our coworkers, does the way we treat our church family that we're all gonna have to give an account for, not just me, This is not just my church, it's your church. Does the way we treat it, those people that Jesus bought with his blood, the way we treat the gifts he's given us, the opportunities he's made available to us to serve him, even here and out there, wherever you are, does the way we treat the lost around us, those close relationships, those brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers that call from us at least an example of integrity and a zeal for Jesus that at some point they want to ask us, what's up with you? Even in their hearts, why don't you joke with me about our common relative and slam them when I slam them? Why when that thing happened at the dinner and everybody got angry, why did you not get angry? Why did when I ran out of money and was really in a crisis, did you help me? Or why when I just wanted to borrow money because I'm living a life of, you know, sloth, did you come into my life and say, hey, I want better for you than this? 
Peter says, live in such a way with Christ as Lord. You honor Christ as Lord in your heart, he says. You, first thing he says in 1 Peter 3, 15, I believe it is, he says, always honor Christ, consecrate Christ as Lord in your heart. And then he says, so that you are ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. You honor Christ as Lord in such a way that people are asking about you in their hearts before their lips. And then you're ready to give an answer. Do so with gentleness. Do so, do, do so with respect. But does that happen? Is that happening in our lives the way it should? Do all these things testify that we take seriously that Jesus is king who's coming back for his kingdom? Or is this parable speaking to us today to clean us because we're starting to veer towards the example of these foolish bridesmaids who acted like they were all excited for the celebration but they took no responsibility? Are we like those in Matthew 7 who prophesy and do miracles in Jesus' name and have outward religious zeal and excitement that looks awesome? But Jesus says, man, this was a joke for you. Like, this was really just show. Like, there's, a, there's hate you're ruled by. There's lust you're ruled by. There's laziness you're ruled by. There's religious show and unbelief and, and a riches that's way overboard. There's ease and the applause of men. There's unbelief. There's so much at the center of your heart that just says, I don't know you. We never knew each other. Away from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. In the parable, the the foolish bridemaids are caught off guard. They run to the others. Give us oil, give us oil. This is a real thing. We didn't realize how real this was. It's real. Help us, help us, help us. And they're turned away. I don't think there's any lesson here. for us right now about how we should treat a straying believer or a lost person who comes to us awoken to their predicament. He's not saying, say to them, oh no, I gotta have my quiet time. I can't talk to you about the gospel. Hopefully you know enough about the Bible. This is Jesus coming, like he's come in this parable. So there's no time to help them get saved because the judgment's already happening. I think the lesson here is that there will come a time for those who persist in not taking Jesus seriously there will come a time for them who, if, if they don't turn from that, there will come a time at some point that there will be no rescue for them. And we don't know when this time is coming. First of all, we don't know when he's coming. Second of all, we don't know when we're going to him because of a Mack truck or cancer. We, we just don't know whether we're gonna even take another breath this afternoon. We also don't know when our heart might become so hard that we turn from him for the last time. And Piper says this about this. What the wise virgins mean when they say in verse nine, there won't be enough oil for both of us. Go buy your own oil is this. We can't have faith for you and for us. We can't have an inner spiritual life for you and for us. We can't give you obedience and the faithful use of, of God's appointed means. If, if you neglect them in this life, we can desperate that, that for you. Each one bears his own load. So in desperation, the foolish virgins who wasted their lives ran for the impossible. They ran for the impossible. Instant end time obedience. <laughs> Instant end time faith. So that's the point. This is the end. 
So today, while it is today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts because there will come a day when you won't be able to unharden your heart anymore because he will be here or you will be with him. Of course, as I said, this doesn't, we don't have to wait for the end times to see this important principle. A, a life of not taking Jesus seriously. Like, I'm not talking about we all struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin. But a life that really just, I just don't take him seriously. A life of playing church, but living in the hardness of heart and keeping him as a tool for our comfort, but not yielding to him or seeking to try to have our lives yield to him as our Lord. It, it is dangerous to do that all the time. You don't know, as I said, what the layers of even more hardness your current hardness will invite. So it's always dangerous to keep Jesus at bay because we don't know if we have another day tomorrow. Verse 10, 11, while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And the parable ends with these terrible words. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, I, I knew you once, but then I forgot about you. <laughs> or I gave up on you. I knew you, we were really close, and then I, I gave up on you. No, he says right from the start, there really wasn't any real relationship. It was show. Other people thought it was real. For a season, been deceived to think it was real but it was show you call me lord but i was never your lord because those who i'm their lord not perfectly but they they do what i say they follow me but you weren't mine, I wasn't yours. And the fact that you came to this wedding so unprepared for me is evidence that I never knew you. Now the parable closes with Jesus' own application. And this is really helpful because, like I said, folks try to figure out all kinds of things with this parable. What's the oil mean? Why don't we ever see the bride? Is, is the oil good deeds of the Holy Spirit? Is this, you know, timing of the rapture being explained. I, I think those questions to try to meet, read like more particulars. And by the way, I, I have an end times, like what I think is gonna happen thing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I, I think people who try to read into this parable, that kind of stuff, they're just missing the forest for the trees because Jesus just tells us what this parable means. In verse 11, verse 13, he says, watch, therefore, you know neither the day nor the hour. In other words, the best way to prepare for the second coming and the judgment to come is to live a life of watchfulness now. Aware that Jesus will come, as he said last week to us, he will come at an hour we do not expect, therefore we should always be seeking to be prepared for his coming. And as we said last week, I wanna say again, preparing for the second coming is not about watching the skies. It's about watching our hearts. It's about watching our lives. And, and again, you're talking to a guy who loves 
eschatology and end time study. I, I love it. I love thinking about these questions of the Antichrist and Israel and, or not Israel or Amish premill. But that's, <laughs> end times is primarily ethical. It's not primarily like about lining up the calendars right. It's about your heart with Jesus. The question of what Jesus will do with us. The question of what Jesus will do with us on that day should really be answered by what we're doing with him on this day. The question of what Jesus will do with us on that day should really be answered by what we're doing with him on this day. Are we seeking to live before him as our Lord now? Are we clinging to his gospel now as our only hope? Are we confessing our sins now? Are we crying out for his power and strength that we don't have because we don't have it in ourselves to follow him now? Are we, seeking, are we seeing the fruit of obedience now even imperfectly? Are, are we laying down our lives for our wives now or fighting to? Because who does it perfectly? I had trouble even writing that line. <laughs> Gosh, Lord, help me. Are we fighting for purity now? Not perfectly, it's a battle. But is it a battle? Are we teaching our children now about this? I mean, man, I was talking to Jen about this. We, we love, our kids love shows that are fun and we try to care about what they watch, but they watch harmless shows but you know what? Like, there's no such thing as harmless shows. It's like candy's not poison. But enough of it is. And enough of it without anything nourishing is. You know, it's like, man, am, am I talking to my kids about this day? I mean, they don't want to hear about this. It freaks my kids out. They need to hear about this day. I don't like them to feel anxious, but they need to feel anxious the fear of the Lord, that there's a, there is a God coming who wants their hearts now, so they're prepared for that day. It's our job to teach our children. Are we, are we, are we serving our church family now in the ways that we can? Are, are we praying for loved ones headed to hell now? Are, are, these are the things. <laughs> Tell us where we are in this parable right now. And, and these questions, they, these are the questions that matter so much more than the specifics of our end time theology. So let's not be fools with Jesus Christ. God, help me. I need, I need to hear these words so much, brothers and sisters. And that's why, part of why I, I, I need your prayers so much, it's not just about writing sermons on, you know, on Friday and getting them done early. It, it, it's about my heart. I need your prayers. I have a significant position here to proclaim the truth to you, but you need not just my proclamation, you need my example. Like you need my life to be a good life that you can see. That's what God commands in the scripture, right? Not perfect. But I need your prayers for that, to give you what you need as a pastor. I need you to help me do that with your prayers at least. And you need my prayers. Let's not be foolish with Jesus Christ. Let's not presume we can give up on him and, and not risk eternity. Let's not assume we can have tomorrow to get it right if we've lived a whole life of holding him off. Today's the day. And folks, my last appeal is this. If you feel in any way convicted this morning by this message, don't run first to all you're going to do to fix things. And now, unless you're sure, you're hearing from the Holy Spirit. But if you're not sure, 
I, I would just appeal to you, run to Jesus first. Don't run first to promises to God or what you will never do again. Come first to Jesus and please don't run away into more hiding. Like the opposite of, I'd rather have you make promises than just go hide. <laughs> just don't hide. But run to Jesus. Ask him for his forgiveness. Ask him for his cleansing. Ask him to draw you near and give you light to see him as he is. Your only savior. Your, your only hope. And the one who in his love for you wants to be the Lord of your life. Ask him to heal your relationship with him. Ask him to help you love him more with all your heart. First run to Jesus. And absolutely, as, he, as you run to him, make these changes. You know, if you're in an addiction right now, come and talk to someone who can help you. Talk to me, talk to Mike, talk to a brother or sister you know who loves Jesus. But start with him. Start with him. So let's take some time right now to run to Jesus for ourselves, that our hearts would be tender towards him, strength to be yielded towards him. And, and let's bring loved ones that we know need him who are not prepared for this day. Like there's no question they're not prepared for this day. Let's bring them to him right now in prayer. And we'll close with that. Would you please go to him in prayer now? And I'll ask the band to come up.